have your bracket filled out by now, you better get to moving on it because the NCAA tournament is upon us. Oklahoma facing Missouri on Saturday evening. Sooners and the Tigers without Devian Harmon, and that's going to be a big deal for Oklahoma. Welcome, everybody, to the Sooner Nation podcast. We are going to talk NCAA tournament, particularly with the Oklahoma Sooners, but we also have a lot of football talk ahead of us as well as we preview Oklahoma spring practices that get underway shortly. Um, Rich, but, I mean, it all comes back to the NCAA tournament. By the way, it's great to be back recording live with you. Uh, I appreciate your flexibility over the last few weeks. Um Devian Harmon, that's the story right now. How big of a deal is that to this basketball program when they're really, in my opinion, looking at a second-round exit anyway against Gonzaga? The truth, Matt, here is that it could have been much worse. I want to get that statement out of the way because when you look at how the year has transpired, when you look at how the different testing methods within the NCAA sports uh, realm have affected teams, whether that be football whether that be basketball, whether it be softball, whether it be baseball, we know that contract contact tracing is huge. And so the way that the NCAA has been handling things, I do think you need to applaud them. You need to give them a little bit of a hat tip because no other player will be missing on account of contact tracing. With that said, there's a, a lot that Devion Harmon does for this team. I get that he's just a sophomore, but you can see that he was quickly developing into one of the better players and would likely take over the role as the best player on the roster next year. He's a guy who really can do it all, but but the the biggest development that I saw out of him from year one to year two was his ability to step back and knock down a few jumpers, whether that be in the mid-range game or whether that be from behind the arc. This was a kid who was developing into a big-time player, and it's not just on the offensive side of the ball. So when we begin to look at what he does, how he contributes, I do think it's going to be extremely difficult for Oklahoma to replace the 31 minutes that he averages per game. I know Lon Kruger went on record saying that he was planning to use three a trio of players in order to absorb those minutes. And, and one of those is Alondis Williams, who has starting experience in mm-hmm. this season. Now, throughout the second half of the year, that's not necessarily the case, but he does have starting experience. And I don't think it's something to overlook. So when it comes to Devion Harmon, when it comes to the minutes, when it comes to the way that he produces, I absolutely believe that it's going to be difficult to replace him. And the biggest concern that I've got, if I'm going to throw it out there, is Oklahoma's going to be going with a bigger lineup. It's just the nature of this roster without a guy like Harmon available. It will be a bigger lineup, and it brings back these memories of when Austin Reeves was not available to do to do ball handling responsibilities coming up the court after a made basket or after a rebound. Oklahoma could find themselves in a little bit of trouble if a team decides to press them. I just don't know how that's going to shake out. I don't know that they have the, the confidence. Uh, I don't want to say talent, but the confidence in bringing that ball up without a guy like Devion Harmon for 40 minutes, if they find themselves pressed and, and I'm not a fool, Matt. I'm not naive enough to think that a team's going to get out there and press Oklahoma for 40 minutes. I'm just saying this is the worst case scenario is a 40 minute press. Well, the good news is they're not playing Bob Huggins in the first round. They're playing the Missouri Tigers. And I agree with you about the, um, uh, about the bigger lineup. And and I, I was thinking rich, even, even before um, 
even before the Devian Harmon news broke, a guy like Kirk Weff, to me, is the key to how how far they make it, what they get past Missouri and how competitive they can be against Gonzaga. And it's a bigger lineup. Just he brings, he's not a great scorer. He's not a guy that you're going to turn to just to, to get you buckets, but he's a great defender around the rim. He's super athletic and he's a rebounder. Um, so I, I think, I'm very curious to see what Lundkruger does with this rotation now that Harmon's out. I would think you you mentioned Alondis Williams. I would think our, our guy Mo Gibson and even Elijah Harkless see uh, maybe an uptick in minutes. You, I can see you're disagreeing with me right now. I but, am. I am but, disagreeing. But even at that, I, I, this team, you go back to that that second Bedlam game. This team is a much different team when Kirkweth is giving quality minutes. And to me, that's that's what's going to be necessary to get past Missouri and really to give Gonzaga a fight. Matt, the names that I'm looking at are, are the names that was mentioned from the head coach himself. Victor Iwilkor. Iwilkor, big guy. Alondis Williams mm-hmm. and Jalen Hill. The, those were the names that were thrown out. And it's why I've centered on that whole idea of it being a much bigger lineup, Oklahoma's not going to play small. And and that's not to say that a guy like Mo Gibson doesn't give Oklahoma quality minutes. But ultimately what I, what I think happens is you see a guy like Elijah Harkless slide over into that two guard spot. And then you're filling down into the three and the four, which is why those names have come up. Yeah. And I said, uh, talking about um, Kirk West, I said the second Bedlam game really was the Texas game. He, he changed the really the pace of that Texas game and helped Oklahoma kind of come back. Now, ultimately they lost that game, but um, I, I get what you're saying. And I certainly get what Lon Kruger says, and I'll never doubt, you know, Lon Kruger knows a lot more about <laughs> basketball than I ever will, but I still can't help but think that the, the added athleticism and I'll, I'll say freakishly athletic that Kirk West brings to this team regardless of whether Harmon's in or out, I, I think that's going to be the key for me uh, against Missouri. And then we'll see what happens against Gonzaga. It is the NCAA tournament and crazy things happen every year in this tournament. But man, that's just such a, I, I said last week on, on the part of the podcast that I recorded that that's just, it's a terrible draw. If you're Oklahoma, it's, it's the worst draw you can get because you want to have the opportunity to build momentum and kind of ride that wave of momentum. They didn't build any momentum in Kansas city. They, they get it bounced in the second round uh, against Kansas. And now you don't have a chance to really build momentum either uh, because you, you get Missouri. And then if you survive Missouri, you got the best team in the country waiting on you in the second round. Just, you couldn't have asked for a worse draw if you're Oklahoma, in my opinion. And if this was, early February, late January, I would have a different stance on it, but I do completely agree with you. Oklahoma was playing some of their best basketball when they were running through teams like West Virginia twice. Alabama was on that list. Kansas, obviously on that list as well. There were some good teams that Oklahoma was able to put down. I I don't know that there are many teams that are going to compete with the Gonzaga this year. It it seems as though they're on a completely different level. I get that they're undefeated. I get that they're not playing in a league that's quite as difficult as the Big uh, Big 12 is. But when you look at any roster and you see that they have the ability to go undefeated in the regular season, that's nothing, nothing to scoff at. The last time I can remember that happening, Matt, was 
Illinois went 30-0 and in the regular season, entered the NCAA tournament, high hopes. Now, they didn't win the national championship that year, but I, I do believe they played for it, if I'm not mistaken. And so there, this Gonzaga team seems to be on a similar trajectory. The only thing that we can hope to happen, if Oklahoma gets by Missouri, is that there's absolute chaos that breaks loose in the second round and Oklahoma somehow finds a way to regain a little bit of that sooner magic that we saw late January, early February and pull off the the biggest upset of the year. Undefeated teams never win the NCAA tournament. I mean, it's just, it's, it's just a rule of thumb, you know, um, how they get, they get close. I think, I mean, I, I may be expressing some ignorance here. I think Bobby Knight's the last undefeated team, uh, with Indiana to go through and, and win all the way through. Um, I know you haven't filled out your bracket yet because we just talked about that before we started recording, but I'm going to put you on the spot. Are you picking Gonzaga to win it all? I am not. Ooh, you want to, you want to drop us. I'll tell you who I've got. If you tell me who you got, I, I think Gonzaga is good enough to be a, a final four candidate. I've got him in the just, final four. I just don't know that they are going to be the NCAA champion for me this year. Matt, I don't, I don't know that I'm ready to give give that out yet because, again, I haven't looked fully through the bracket. Uh, I don't think it's going to be a number one seed that wins it all, though. Let's just put it that way. I've got a number two seed winning. I'll Is just, it Texas? Uh, no, it's not Texas. Is, is Texas even a number two seed? I think they – are they not? Are they? I, I, I don't know. Um, I, I, don't, I don't take a I, – I don't like the Big 12's draw. I, I'll just say that. I, I was talking about Oklahoma. I don't like, in general, the Big 12's draw. I could pull up my bracket if you want me to, but um, – I do have a number two here. I'm, since you're not going to give me uh, your winner, I'm I'm not going to just come out and say it. But I will tell you this: it's a number two seed, and it's so there's four options there, and it's a team from the state of Texas. There, I'll just I'll let you go do your own research <laughs> after that. Um, okay, moving on. Oh, spring football gets started for Oklahoma um, next week, but the big news right now with the Sooners is that. Brendan Radley Hiles is officially gone. There was a lot of um, a lot of hopefulness, I guess, from a portion of the Sooner Nation that he would bounce back out of the portal there in Norman. Even Lincoln Riley said that he had hoped that they could reach a point where his career at the University of Oklahoma isn't over. Buki graduated. He's got a he's got a bachelor's degree. He's going to move on to Washington as a graduate transfer. I mean, look, it's I, I've, I don't know that I could say anything new about this other than what I've already said. And if you're a, if you're a frequent listener to the podcast, I thought he was a liability. I just I absolutely thought he was a liability on the football field. And unfortunately, with the culture that we live in now, you can't say a guy is a liability on the football field and not have it translated into he is a terrible person because I've never said that about him. I, I, I everything I've I've been told about him everything i've seen about him upstanding great guy teammates love him the parents of of his teammates love him the coaches love him they love the person that he is but we got to stop acting like he didn't lose his job to trey norwood and we got to stop acting like key lawrence didn't transfer from tennessee to take that job um so that said i, I wish him the best you know the pac-12 is a terrible brand of, of, of football and uh, he'll probably do well there. And uh, but I, I think to me, I think this is a best case scenario for everybody. But it's I'm always interested, Rich, on in how portions of the fan base 
take things. I, you know, if you look at social media buzz, I saw people saying, oh, you know what, the, the, this, this guarantees that Oklahoma won't win the Big 12 next season to he was bullied out of Norman. Um, you know, they bullied him and made him leave. I just look, this is just it's not true. It's the story of a guy who came in with a lot of potential. He had uh, the weight of the program literally on his shoulders as a freshman. The expectations weren't fair. They weren't realistic. And he just wasn't what everybody hoped he would be. And the truth is he wasn't what Oklahoma needed him to be. And it's better for him to get a fresh start in the Pacific Northwest. And it's better for Oklahoma to move on. And that's not, again, it's not attacking his character. It's not attacking him as a person. It's just breaking down the X's and the O's of this football team. And I think once he saw Key Lawrence arriving on campus, he knew his days as a starter were numbered. So go where there's a need and where you can get on the field. That's better for Buki. You improve the position. That's better for the University of Oklahoma. Everybody wins, right? One of the biggest issues here, Matt, for me is it's easy to forget that Brendan Radley Hiles did not come in under Alex Grinch. Right. He came in under a different defensive coordinator who was running different schematics and was looking for different types of talents and individuals with specific instincts to place on the field to accomplish the ultimate goal, which is to win every single game. When Alex Grinch arrived, we saw a noticeable shift in what he wanted to do with the secondary, and that was to begin recruiting lengthy defenders who have some range to them. Unfortunately for Brendan Radley Hiles, that's the one thing that he couldn't control was his height and was really his, his ability to be that rangy defender that Oklahoma is looking for on the back end of this defense. I think that's the biggest knock that I have against him. And it's again, something that was completely out of his control. So to me, I, I think it makes 100% sense to begin looking at other options and saying, you know what, I, I committed to play for the University of Oklahoma, so I'm going to finish out my degree there. And hats off to Bookie for finishing right. with a Absolutely. degree and finishing in the time frame that he did. You know, at one point in time, Matt, I had called into question work ethic, but that's clearly not the case with this kid. As it took me more than three years to earn a college degree, I don't know that I would have been able to accomplish that feat while playing sports at a major, a high major university, much less a football program that demands as much attention as the Oklahoma Sooners here on the Great Plains. So when I begin to, to look at the situation, again, I'll restate this. I do agree that it was best for both parties, but it, it simply comes down to, for me, the direction that Oklahoma is headed in and the mm -hmm. type of talent that a guy like Bookie is. Yeah, hundred percent. And like I said, it's 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 a win-win situation in my opinion for for both of those guys. Okay, one final topic here in the opening segment, and that's uh, Oklahoma softball. The Sooners continue to just rake over their opponents. They get pushed by Liberty on Sunday of last week at the um, in Oklahoma City, um, but then they come back in the second game and just manhandle. Can I say manhandle when we're talking about softball? They just manhandle uh, the the Liberty Flames, sixteen to nothing. This team, they've, they've, they've made it through what we call tournament season here, the first part of the season, getting ready for Big 12 play. But they're stepping out of collegiate play this weekend to host Team Mexico. I think it's a pretty cool deal. I, I meant to look this up, Rich, and, and maybe you know. 
I think Sidney Romero is playing for Team Mexico. So that should be a fun thing for the Sooners. Uh, three exhibition games against the Mexican national team. And then they jump into, um, into Big 12 play. But you look at this, and to me, the, the surprise of, of the Big 12 season, we knew Oklahoma was going to be good. We knew Texas was going to be good. We knew Oklahoma State was going to be salty. But Iowa State is sneaky good this year through the first part of the season. But um, I, to me, Rich, this team has punched every single ticket that they need a punch to impress me before conference play starts. You know, a year ago when things got shut down, we were we had some concerns about the lineup and the power. We had concerns about pitching because Giselle Juarez was was injured. But um, man, I find me a hole in this lineup and find me an arm that's that you don't you know that's that's kind of rubbery and weak. And I can't do that with this roster. This team looks loaded for bear. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was having a conversation very briefly with an individual who considers themselves to be quite the softball fan. And that year off, I think, really set us back mentally for those of us who follow the game, those of us who have been introduced to the names of the players and have really followed their careers. Because when you look at the infield of this roster, Matt, there's quite a few names that are just not as familiar <laughs> as they once were. Mm -hmm. Needless to say, that's not been a hindrance to this team, even though there hasn't been the experience. It seems as though the, the athlete that's being produced from the high school level and then having that year to get acclimated in a college situation has done this team wonders. I know that Oklahoma pulled in the number one overall recruit. I think they had a second one who was number six. And these these players that are coming in are very much so ready for the collegiate level of softball and the collegiate level of softball is basically the pro level as well. I know Florida has played team USA in the past and has challenged them on, on at least one occasion. Now, Oklahoma looking to face another national team, team Mexico, Matt, as you had mentioned, but there are no soft spots there are no weaknesses mm -hmm. that can easily be exploited from this team whether that's on the offensive side or the defensive side of the ball and and i say that because i'm looking at the fielding percentages of each of these players and they're remaining exceptionally high yeah you, you can't um i listen if and i've said this in previous podcasts if you're not a softball fan you need to just tune in one game, one series, watch these girls play. Um, but after what we've seen in the, in the non-conference portion of the season, there's zero chance that, uh, you, that you can't have high expectations for them as Big 12 play gets ready to get underway. Okay, true or false coming up next. I get to ask Rich the questions this week, and uh, we're going to have a lot of fun with it. Have you ever experienced turbulence on a flight and wondered why? And you can see all the terrain around you. Uh, you've got no issue with visibility or anything. No, everything's peachy. Maybe you've sat on the tarmac for hours wondering why your plane isn't moving. Well, we're outside here. They're saying the ramp is closed. They won't let us park because of the uh, Air Force One. Listen in on the conversations between pilots and air traffic controllers on the Air Traffic Out of Control podcast. 5130 declaring an emergency. There's smoke in the cabin. I need to make a landing right now on 31 left. We have the most interesting, wild, and funny ATC recordings you will ever hear. Check out Air Traffic Out of Control wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts.
All right, Rich, coming back for true or false. Um, we're gonna we're gonna begin. I, I like to use true or false to transition us from all the pre-podcast talk really more into football. My first question here for you though is specifically about basketball, and then we're gonna get into football. And uh, you've got uh, your, your, your top three storylines coming into spring ball. And then I'm going to rank the position battles coming into spring ball. And then we're going to discuss whether we agree or disagree with all that later on in the podcast. So here we go. True or false. Are you ready, my friend? Yeah, I'm ready. All right. First, <laughs> first question is up your alley. It's a basketball question. And I don't know if you had a chance to listen to the portion of the podcast that I recorded last week. But this is what I said. And I want to know whether you say or whether you think it's true or false. Here we go. Oklahoma basketball fans should now spend more time wondering if Austin Reeves and Brady Manick will come back for one more season rather than wondering if the Sooners can potentially beat Gonzaga in a second-round matchup. That one is true. And as I mentioned here at the top of this podcast, Matt, was I felt as though Oklahoma played some of their best, best basketball just a little bit too early. It was one of the things that I called into question was, did this team peak? just a little bit too soon. That question appears to have been answered as Oklahoma has only beaten a, a very, very dismal Iowa State team, which I know was a, a shock for a lot of those in the Big 12 as Iowa State has traditionally been at the top, towards the top, if not at the top of the conference when it comes to the regular season standings. So we see Oklahoma, Austin Reeves, Brady Manick. We talked about Devion Harmon. Mm -hmm. extensively at this point in time that's going to be the big three for Oklahoma and if they can return all three of those players I think the outlook of the season next year takes a drastic turn than the way that it finished this year this year was all about staying healthy maintaining COVID protocols not having fans or not having a full stadium in right. effect a full arena of people which I do think ultimately diminishes a little bit of what you were talking about just moments ago in that momentum. Oklahoma gained a little bit of it, but when you don't have fans to help ride that wave, it seems as though it dissipates just ever so quickly. Needless to say, Matt, again, if the big three, all three of those players come back, Oklahoma can begin to once can can once again begin to dream of a top two, top three finish here in the Big 12 regular season and actually making a run of the Big 12 championship. All right. Uh, now we're going to transition into football, beginning with question number two, and it's pretty simple. Eric Gray played college football in 2020. Kennedy Brooks did not. You and I have both been very vocal about Kennedy Brooks from the time he decided to opt out to the time he decided to come back in. But the truth is, Kennedy Brooks hasn't played football in a year. True or false, Eric Gray could actually push Kennedy Brooks to be Oklahoma's top running back in 2021. I do think that's true. And it's because you've stated that he could push him not to say that he'll take over the spot, but that he could push him and challenge him for that top, that, that RB one position with the Oklahoma Sooners. Eric Gray, Matt, honestly, is one of the best pickups from the transfer market, regardless of where he landed. And it's because of the skill set that he already possesses. It's because of the size that he already possesses. And it's because of the experience, which you're alluding to. When I look 
at what Eric Gray brings to the table, it's hard not to get excited. It's hard not to look at a player like that and say that he won't contribute immediately because mm -hmm. I think every, every sign that we have points to an immediate contributor and a guy who's going to carry the rock quite a bit more than maybe what I expect him to carry it up front. I still think Kennedy Brooks is the guy to beat out. I think when he opted out of 2021, and this may be his saving grace when he, excuse me, when he opted out of the 2020 season, not 2021, when he opted out of the 2020 season, I think he knew that he was coming back for one final year. And if you believe that you're coming back and that you're going to play collegiate football, heck, if you believe that you're going to make that leap into the NFL, you mm. better be in a weight room. You better be training. You better be talking with a nutritionist because we know number one is your conditioning is going to come into question. It's going to come under fire. Again, doesn't matter if you sat out for the college year to prepare for a combine, what has now just become an NFL pro day and in the NFL, it, it doesn't matter. That was going to come under fire. That was going to come into question at some point in time. And so again, I think that these are our top notch athletes who know what it takes to be at the top of their game and they're willing to put in that work. And I have to believe that Kennedy Brooks is no different. And when he returns, yes, Matt, it is true. He will be pushed. Eric Gray's going to make a case for that number one spot, but ultimately I, I don't think he gets it, but we see Kennedy Brooks once again, take the reins and we may even have two 1000 yard rushers. Yeah. I said that last week on unsure or false. I, I think it's uh, it's going to happen for sure. Um, that's my opinion. Um, and, and to be fair for Kennedy Brooks, Lincoln Riley did say on Thursday uh, this week, which is today as we're recording this, um, that um, Kennedy Brooks has been working out. He is in shape. He's with the team. Uh, but Lincoln Riley said there's still some things that they want to see from him. They know what they've heard from him, but they want to see on the field. Um, and it sounds to me like it's, it's a legit it's a legit running back competition, but I agree with you. I think Kenny Brooks, unless he just comes back 50 pounds overweight <laughs> and you know, he's, he's probably going to be starting back um, next fall. So let's flip sides of the ball and go to the defense. And let me get your take on this true or false year three of the speed D should bring the highest expectations on the defensive side of the football in more than a decade at the university of Oklahoma. I'm going to go with false really? at that point in time. Okay. Highest expectations in a decade. Matt, again, I'm no fool. I do believe that expectations are riding high. This is a year in which Alex Grinch is actually going to have the players that he recruited mm -hmm. on the field almost uh, universally across the board. Now, I know that there are some transfers that have come in in the past, but again, they still fall under Alex Grinch and what he's been looking for specifically up front. The reason I say that the expectations will not be as high or will not be the highest of the decade, and I do say that that statement is false, is because you also have to consider what Oklahoma is losing. When you lose a guy like a Trey Brown, when you lose a guy who had an incredible second half of the season and a Trey Norwood, when you up front are losing possibly your best pass rusher, your best edge rusher off the defensive line, it seems as though it's a no-brainer that all of the focus will begin to shift 
towards those positions and say, I need to see what's going to replace it before I'm willing to put these lofty mm -hmm. expectations. And now maybe I, I'm looking at that from the perspective of someone who has a deeper knowledge of the team. And I do not claim to know football. It is not a sport that I grew up. And here's my confession that I grew up watching. Um, it just didn't have a ton of my interest. I lean towards some more obscure sports plus basketball. We'll leave it at that. You were into the football, not the football, right? And, I mean, I, I played it. I was pretty darn good too, if I do say so <laughs> myself, but that's beside the point. Um, and so I think a casual fan might hear some of the noise, might hear some of the rumblings and then see what those numbers were last year and say, cool, Oklahoma was forcing turnovers. They were securing the one thing that they've been lacking before Alex Grinch arrived on campus. Two, the number of sacks that Oklahoma posted. Wow, that number's going up. And so again, as a casual fan, I see the easy potential to put mm -hmm. these lofty expectations on the defense, but someone who's got a, a little bit more of an intimate knowledge, a deeper knowledge, they may start pumping the brakes on those kinds of statements. So again, that that's my reasoning for going false. Okay. Well, we're going to stick with the uh, theme of expectations here for the next question. Uh, jumping back over to the offensive side of the ball. Uh, Spencer Rattler jumped on the scene, struggled early, got benched against Texas, and then came back and was the best quarterback that the Big 12 had to offer in 2020. And we're going to give a hat tip to Brock Tur Purdy anyway. Um, but true or false, Spencer Rattler will be the top quarterback in the nation next season. That one's true for me. And Matt, there is going to be some competition. But when you look at the the progression, when you look at the strides that have been made for Spencer Rattler in such a short time, you begin to notice just how poised of a quarterback this kid is and will be. You begin to notice the confidence that he plays with. You begin to recognize that he knows exactly what he's capable of. Even though he may push those boundaries ever so often, he knows what he's capable of of and what he's not. And I think year three for him in this Oklahoma system will only bring about more of that in, in that trend, mm -hmm. if you will. Now, without guys at Clemson and Ohio State returning without guys at Alabama, I, I think it's really going to be a toss-up. There's no Mac Jones to challenge for that Heisman Trophy. There's no Trevor Lawrence. There, there are, again, talented quarterbacks Unfortunately, Matt, I think they're coming from the West and I don't think the West coast is going to rack up enough wins. I don't think they're going to have that undefeated to gain undefeated undefeated season to gain the attention that a guy like, even with a couple of losses that Spencer Rattler would. So best quarterback in the country. I think that that title will belong to Spencer Rattler at the end of the year. Did you Heck, just I think predict did you just predict a couple of losses for Oklahoma in 2021? I didn't. I didn't predict <laughs> any losses. But, to me like you've predicted but let's a be realistic. Losses. Let's be realistic. Undefeated seasons are, are not as common as I think they once were as the game continues to evolve. And to predict an undefeated season, again, Matt, it's, it's very possible. They're just unlikely. 
Oklahoma every year, and this is since Baker Mayfield has no, seemed to have one you. game that has yeah. tripped him up. So for me to <laughs> look at this team, look at what the Big 12 has done, and know that there's a giant slayer that emerges ever so often to knock off that top team, whether it be Oklahoma, whether it be Oklahoma State, whether it be Texas, whether it be Kansas State, I, I don't care who it, that top team is. There always seems to be a stumbling block that is put inside of the Big 12 that causes all sorts of trouble for not just the Big 12, but that that front runner in getting to that college football playoff and then more importantly, getting into the, the national championship game. Well, they are riding a two-game losing streak to Kansas State and they have to go to Manhattan in 2021. Well, so so yeah, there you and, go. And Matt, I mean, we can even talk about the Big 12 <laughs> shooting itself in the foot. Now, it seems as though when, when the recipe is right and all of the ingredients have been added. Then we get a Baylor TCU situation where we won't claim one true champion. <laughs> and then guess what? The big 12 gets left out. Well, yeah. And I think, I do think to be fair that the big 12 learned from that situation and, you know, and, and I think it changed a lot. You know, we got the conference championship game back and so forth really in, in part of because of what happened there mm -hmm. uh, on that front. So, um, but no, you're right. Absolutely right. The Big 12 has shot itself in the foot and has done it's done more damage to itself uh, in the past than than what's necessary for a conference to do, because it's already so difficult to get to where you want to be uh, in terms of the college football playoff. Let's stick with football, though. And let's, let's talk about scheduling. And we're looking at 2021, all the drama that came out this last week about the Nebraska game to mark the anniversary of the game of the century. Uh, Nebraska comes out. It's reported that Nebraska shopping that weekend around trying to get someone to come play in Lincoln, meaning they're trying to get out of the game uh, there in Norman. Oklahoma's Joe Castiglione comes out and says, hey, look, we have a contract. We expect Nebraska to be here at this point. We fully anticipate playing that game. A day or two later, Nebraska comes back and says, yeah, yeah, we're going to go to Norman. We'll, we'll play the Sooners down there. Uh, but the damage has been done. And true or false, Rich, Nebraska has already mentally lost this football game. That one is true for me. Nebraska has been the center of conversation, whether it be in the Big Ten, whether it be on the anniversary of one of the biggest games in Sooner and Nebraska history, if not national football history. And when you begin to look at the negative um, way that they've been painting themselves. I, I do think that they will be in a negative headspace. When you say that you don't want to be there, it's almost an omission that you don't think that you can win that game. Mm -hmm. And when you look at the confidence that I believe Oklahoma is going to step onto the field with during the non-conference portion of the schedule, they're going to see Nebraska. They're going to see those uniforms and it's immediately going to, to spark those same emotions where Oklahoma is going to say, this is a team who didn't want to be here. So let's run them off the field and get them back on the bus. And Nebraska is going to say, okay, we'll let you. Okay. That's it for true or false. Let us know where you agree or disagree with any of the statements that were issued here. Uh, you can hit us up on Twitter at sports heartland. We're always on the on the interwebs at heartland sports.com. Uh, we'd love to know your take on that. We've got the top three storylines of spring football coming up for the Sooners, as well as the ranking of the position battles from worst to first. And we're going to give you our takes on that. Okay, so here we go. Spring football is on its way to Norman, Oklahoma. Here's what we're going to do. Rich, you have compiled what you believe are the top three storylines of the spring football season for Oklahoma. 
you're going to give us those in, in your ranking order. We'll, we'll kind of chat about them for a little bit. And then I'm going to tell you whether I agree or disagree with their ranking and priority from terms of one to three. Now, uh, help me out here. You, you have three, right? I do have three. Okay. So do you want to start at the top or you want to start at the bottom? Let's, let's start at the bottom. All right. Take it away, my man. Number five for me is while it seems as though it's hard to believe, Oklahoma's trio of five-star receivers are now juniors. When we look at the impact that they've had on this game, and when we look at the impact or the legacy that they're leaving at the University of Oklahoma, by the time they leave, it's not an ex extremely strong legacy that's being left. Theo Weiss, I think, is the most familiar with um, fans. He's the name that instantly pops up when you think of this trio, but we can't forget about Jaden Hazelwood, and we can't forget about Matt, one of your favorites, uh, to be a deep threat in this upcoming season, Trajan Bridges. Needless to say, I think that one of the storylines here in the spring is everybody wants to see the development of these players, but they want, to see, they want to see that they are actually capable of doing what people believe that they were capable of doing when they stepped on campus. No, I, I agree. Um, I agree in principle with what you're saying in that their first three seasons haven't really lived up to the hype of what they did coming in as freshmen. I, I think a lot of people expected this trio, this trio, this threesome. <laughs> and, and then you could also add Austin Stogner and not Austin Stogner. Yeah. Austin Stogner in there. Um, he coming in with that same group and really make it four. Um, we all expected them to really kind of be somewhere around what Marvin Mims did in 2020 as a true freshman. But you got to consider a couple of things. When these guys were all true freshmen, Oklahoma had C.D. Lamb on the team, and he was an all-world type player. And then in 2020, you lose two of those guys for the majority of the season with the injury to, to Hazelwood and the suspension of Bridges. And so, yeah, I agree. They're, they're not they're not going into year three they haven't produced to the capacity i think uh, where the expectations were set when they came on campus with spencer rattler having already established that chemistry and so forth with them but that said this is the year this is this is a make or break year for those guys because marvin mims stole the show one of the things that we've talked about and actually is going to come up again on our position rankings one of the things we've talked about is who's going to be number two to marvin mims who's going to be number three to whoever's number two to marvin mims what is the pecking order for this receiving core and and that's good that trio has to play a big role in that if not it's time to start saying putting the label on them that we put on, on Brendan Bradley Hiles. And as the expectations were unfair, there was too much pressure on their shoulders and they didn't live up to it, but it's way too early still to say that at this point with the understanding of the suspension and the injury to two of those three guys. Well, let's not forget either though, Matt is Oklahoma signed a, a pretty decent class at the position. Absolutely. Once again, you've got, like Mario Williams, mm -hmm. who is expected to challenge at that slot receiver position. You've got a guy like Cody Jackson coming in as well. I know Billy Bowman is a name that people want to throw out there in relation to these receivers. There's no time that ultimately you can take off because we know on the offensive side of the ball, Oklahoma has no problems enticing skill position players to come and to sign with the university. So 
to me, it, it is a next guy up. And I ultimately believe that's what we were seeing happen. When you talk about a guy like Marvin Mims, there was a void. He naturally filled it. I want to see the guys, Jaden Hazelwood, Theo Weiss, Trajan Bridges, Austin Stogner, since you're throwing him in there. I want to see them be the guys mm -hmm. who ultimately say, here's, here's a, a void that needs to be filled. I'm going to be the guy and it doesn't matter what it takes. I'm going to be the guy and I'm going to make the plays. I want the ball coming in my general direction. That's all I care about from this group at this point. And I do believe that they have the talent to do that. I do believe that they're, they're the group that command the attention of any defensive coordinator across the country. We just have yet to see it. Yeah. Let me, let me read you this quote. Um, this is from Lincoln Riley's press conference today about the receivers. He says, uh, this is a direct quote from Lincoln Riley. He says, yeah, on the receivers, I would say, honestly, I think it'll be some of the most interesting position battles that we have this spring. You know, that frankly for us, it, it was a position by and large, although we had some great moments that it was a position that we weren't real thrilled about the way we played last year and know that we can play better there. We know that we can coach better there as well. I mean, they're all the above. It's something we've just got to do a better job with. And part of that is, again, we have some great moments from that group, but part of it is we have such a high standard for the play of the receivers here at Oklahoma. The standards are really, really high, and we believe we've got the people in this building to play and perform at those standards. So Lincoln Riley, you know, he, he's a firm believer, and the guys that he has um, going there um, – but uh, he's going to admit the exact same thing we're talking about in that they've not lived up to the hype. And then I wanted mm -hmm. to uh, something that I don't know that you're, you're aware of this because you just mentioned the name. But when Billy Bowman's name uh, was brought up at the press conference today, it was Lincoln Riley talked about him on the defensive side of the ball, particularly in this, you know, the, those guys in the secondary, he mentioned by name, key Lawrence, the transfer from Tennessee, Billy Bowman and Jordan Mukes. Uh, he said that those are the kind of guys you can't wait to get out there and see what they're all about. So, and then he also mentioned Jeremiah Cradell. I can't, uh, yeah, well, I can't leave him out. So, you know, how, Billy Bowman, we all know he came in as an athlete, but I thought for the longest time, that they would use him on the offensive side of the ball, but Lincoln Riley, hundred percent talking about him in, in reference to the defense today. And and that may be based on need. We, we don't know that with 100% yeah. certainty, but I do know Matt, we've talked about that safety position being a position of need Billy Bowman coming in as an athlete. I said there was the potential that they would pull a, a Gary Patterson here recruit an athlete, get him on campus, yeah. put him through some drills and see where he best fits within this team, where he begins to excel and where those instincts begin to shine. Needless to say, I think Billy Bowman gets a shot on both sides of the ball. I've continued to maintain that. So I'm not surprised to hear a guy like Lincoln Riley talk about him on the defensive side of the ball in the early going, especially through spring practices. But once fall hits, who, who knows? That's all I'm saying is, is who knows? If I'm going to give you my my number two, my number two storyline to watch here, um, it's going to be at the defensive end position. And I say that because Oklahoma is bringing back a guy like Jalen Redmond, who again sat out a year, sat out the year of 2020, did not play. Oklahoma is also losing Ronnie Perkins from that position. It means that they're going to lean heavily on a guy like Isaiah Thomas on one end and potentially Nick Benito from the lineback 
linebacker position, that tweener position, if you will, that he fills as a pass rusher. They're going to rely on those two guys to get pressure on the quarterback, but I definitely think they're going to attempt to develop a third one. I've mentioned Jalen Jalen Redman as a prime candidate, but I think there are a lot of other names that are going to submit themselves in that position battle. Mm -hmm. But regardless of how we slice it, Matt, the truth is, is that with a developing secondary, Oklahoma must have a pass rush that can be creative, a pass rush that can be deceptive, and a pass rush that can come from either side before they hit the field in the fall. Some of that will be hashed out here in the spring. Um, and so it's a storyline. It's also a position, but it's a storyline that I think I myself will be cer will certainly be keeping my eye on. Yeah. And so here, yeah, 100%. And I, I love this, that, that you put this in your, your topics because to, to me, Lincoln Riley really dropped a good nugget about this today at his press conference um, about these guys on the defensive line. And basically what he's talking about, Rich, is moving them around to find the mismatch. And so, you know, finding a guy like Jalen Redmond and, and matching him up, if he matches up well against a guard, put him against a guard. If he matches up well against a tackle, put him against a tackle. If he can, if he can plow past the center like a Perry and Winfrey and shoot that gap, then, then put him there. And and he's talking about just they've got a handful of guys that can play multiple positions along this defensive line. And he said, here's what he's I'm, I'm going to read part of the quote to you. I, I didn't mean for this to be just a rehash of the Lincoln Riley press conference, but it just goes <laughs> right into what you're saying. This is just part of the quote. He says, I think just the create creativity up front on being able to. And then he says, within the base of our scheme, being able to create the different mismatches to put ourselves in kind of the best matchups that we possibly can uh, up front. It's something that we take pride in ourselves on doing here defensively. And he says, and mismatches change week in a uh, week to week. They change in the game and we're able to attack those pretty seamlessly. And then he goes on down. He says, so um, he said, we've got several guys uh, in the first couple of years here, this defensive system, but I think that, that we'll have more this year and they're going to be able to move around, which will hopefully make us better and more dangerous. And so you're talking about the defensive end position, which I, I totally get it. But what Lincoln Riley's talking about here is, Hey, you, you may have Jalen Redman at defensive end on one snap, and then you may have him at a defensive tackle or a nose guard on the next snap based on the personnel situation on the field. And to me, as a, as a guy, I'm more of an offensive guy uh, on that side of the ball. I love to, to kind of look at the schemes of the offense and, and see when I kind of how I would exploit things. But man, I love this from a defensive perspective, just to see how they're looking at exploiting things on that defensive side of the ball. And, and Rich, when you, when you talk about the depth here on the defensive line, this, this becomes to me, not, I'm not disagreeing with what you're saying, but this ability to move guys around and basically have them positionless on that defensive line. That's a bigger story than, than what's going to happen at defensive end, in my opinion. Yeah, I can get on board with that. And I love that you've also mentioned the depth here because I do think throughout the spring, Oklahoma is looking to develop depth, depth, depth. No, no let, more let, depth. Me get, let me get the P in their depth on the defensive side of the ball as that's really been the Achilles heel for this Oklahoma Sooners team since Lincoln Riley has taken over and even before that point. So addressing it head on, I, I'm going to applaud them. Again, adding depth, big concern big thing that Oklahoma is working on doing that. The number now, one, I would, say, I, I would say that they did pretty much kill Spencer Sanders in the Oklahoma state offense. So maybe they are looking for more death. 
Sorry. I'm the, trying. The, I'm trying, man. <laughs> the number one storyline that I'm going with here is it, it's kind of twofold. Okay. You can categorize it as separate things, a number one A and a one B, if you will, but I've lumped them together and it's offensive line cohesiveness and running back comfort mm -hmm. behind this offensive line. What we know, Matt, in the early going of 2020 was the lack of a, a rushing attack didn't really hurt Oklahoma. Once they stepped into conference play, it seemed as though that equation changed and it changed pretty drastically. So much so that you've already mentioned it. Spencer Rattler found himself on the bench after throwing a couple of interceptions late in games. Oklahoma rewrites their story on the second half of the season. And I do have to believe largely in part to the reintroduction of Ramondre Stevenson Absolutely. to this team. When he begins to appear in the backfield, the, the dynamic offensively completely changed. Without him, I think Oklahoma is going to be be looking for that once again. And that will take a lot of that pressure off of Spencer Rattler and allow him to relax, be comfortable and do what he's capable of doing. But more importantly, when we look at this offensive line, there's currently a lot of moving parts. There mm -hmm. are some, some names that have had starting experience, but I don't expect them to start in 2021. There are some names who are coming via the transfer market who are hoping to make a name for themselves at Oklahoma under Bill Biedenboe and leap into the NFL. It's going to take some work. It's going to take some time, but I do believe this, this offensive line has the talent to once again, be one of the best, if not the best in the country, they're just going to have to sort out the gelling, the cohesiveness over time. And that's something to look forward to in the spring. Yeah. And I would, I would add to that, that, um, you know, just as we talked about with the defensive line, there's several players on Oklahoma's offensive line who can play multiple positions, you know, and you've got the guy, uh, Murray, who transferred in from UCLA. You've got, I mean, there's guys, they're, they're returning starters that could play either side of the ball. Um, and so you're right. That's, it's going to be an interesting competition. We're going to talk more about that when we hit to our, our position rankings. But um, I, I do agree. Um, well, I'm trying to, I, I agree to an extent with what you're saying about early season running attack and really Spencer saying, Spencer Rattler trying to do everything on his own. But a lot of that come, came down to inexperience. In my opinion, when you're looking at the, the amount of, of time that Seth McGowan had to have early TJ Pledger had to have early, you know, and just, I, I don't know, you know, what happened to Marcus major, but he came back with a bang against Florida in the cotton bowl, but that everything changed with the experience. Now, Ramondre Stevenson cleared the most talented running back on this roster last year, but when he came back on board, that's, that's when everything changed. And a lot of it had to do with experience as well experience isn't going to be an issue with Oklahoma's running backs in 2021. Um, so I don't, I don't know that that's going to be as big of a deal in 2021 as it was in 2020. And I would take your three storylines and, and I would rank them in this manner. My, my number three would be what you, we just talked about offensive line running back. My number two would be the receivers. And my number one would be what's going to happen on the defensive front. I think there are three great storylines. I would just prioritize them just a little bit different order than what you have them in. That's fine by me, but you got to score points to win the game. Okay. This is true. Just remember that Th this is, this is true. I, I agree with you. And I mean, I'd like to see the defense actually get in on the scoring this coming year as well. 
was it was it John Madden or was it Dick Vitale that would say that I believe the team that's going to score the most points is going to win this game? That sounds like a John Madden <laughs> thing for sure. Yep. <laughs> okay, we're going to wrap up the podcast. I'm going to give you the ten <laughs> position battles we're going to look at from worst to first, and uh, and then Rich is going to give me his take on that. And again, would always love to hear what you have to say as well. Okay, Rich, this was inspired by you. I just want you to know that. Uh, it was inspired from your true or false segment uh, last um, last week's podcast. And basically, I've got 10 position battles. There, there may be more. There may be less. I don't know. But I've got 10 position battles here that I'd like to get your take on. And I've, I've ranked them from worst to first. And there's no way that you and I are going to get through all 10 of these and agree exactly on what their order. But also, it's not fair for you to try to remember what's in position number 10 and what's in position number three. Oh, there you go. You got the no, the notebook and the notepad. So you can take some some notes there. Pretend you're back in college. What I'd like you to do, I'm, I'm going to throw oh, this dang. out there. You saying um, you're about to school someone? No, I'm just saying I took notes in college. Actually, I had m- my wife took notes in college and I copied off of her notes, but whatever. Um, <laughs> I What I want you to do is tell me just basically your general thoughts on this and then whether you think that position battle deserves to be higher or lower. And then as you're, as you're writing these down, feel free to re-rank them however you would like to do it from one to ten, okay? Okay. All right. So here we go. Starting number 10. To me, it's the most plain, boring position battle that Oklahoma has to offer the spring of 2021. You want to guess what it is? I've got no clue. Quarterback. It's, it's the quarterback. You know, I know, again, uh, social media is great for a laugh sometimes. It's also great for a headache at times because, listen, guys, there's zero chance. There is zero chance that Caleb Williams is going to come in and that's unseat Spencer Rattler as a starting quarterback in 2021. In fact, those of you that are for some reason hoping that that happens, what you have to understand is that's the worst case scenario for Oklahoma is that a true freshman beats out their Heisman Trophy contending redshirt sophomore. That sets the program backwards. It doesn't move them forwards. What you want is for Spencer Rattler to improve from year one to year two as a starter, and that moves the program forward, not backwards. That said, the only the only thing to watch for in the quarterback position battle is who's going to be number two, and I have that answer for you, Rich. It'll be Caleb Williams, very much the way it was Spencer Rattler when he was a true freshman. Someone else is going to be listed as QB number three, and then if there's a worst-case scenario, then you see Caleb Williams, but – the truth is there's no quarterback battle this year. I think that the number three position would definitely draw a little more interest than Caleb Williams being the number two. And the reasoning for that, Matt, is that I do believe Lincoln Riley will play this one smart, that Caleb Williams will see four games in order to maintain his red shirt. Can't mm-hmm. guarantee you what games those would be. I would expect one to be early. I would expect one to be in conference play. And then you can sprinkle the other two wherever you would like, maybe save one for a bowl game at the end of the year. That way he has on the field experience in these different scenarios. So I do expect Caleb Williams to play. I expect it I to only be four games though. So if there were an injury or if something catastrophic were to happen to Spencer Rattler this season that actually sidelined him. Mm-hmm. I, I get what you're saying. And I know that you're going to be team team Williams, Caleb Williams all the way for being that guy who kind of comes in and essentially would usher in a new era at that point. But I think again, Lincoln Riley will play it smart. 
He wants two quality quarterbacks on his roster, which means that he will play that number three option over Caleb Williams. Just my take on it. Yeah, and again, Caleb Williams is probably going to be QB3 on the depth chart, but he'll be QB2 in Lincoln Riley's heart. Um, So my question to you, Rich, is uh, that's number 10, higher, lower, or is it in the right spot? That's good. It's good. Okay, so moving on to number nine is the free safety position. And, you know, you you look at this position, and Robert Barnes is gone. Pat Fields is returning for his senior season. Bryson Washington will be a a sophomore. There's really no – to me, I mean, this is Pat Fields' job to lose. I don't think he loses it unless there's an injury. So there's no drama here. There's there's just, um, has Pat Fields still a ball hawk? Is he still the leader of this defense? How is he looking out there? And and what kind of progress is, is Washington making from year one to year two? But no drama here at all in this position. Yeah, I, I do agree with you there. When you look at the roster here in the spring and you see that only three names are listed at the safety, excuse me, at that safety position. It seems as though Pat Fields is the odds on favorite to win that position. Don't get me wrong. There are some talented players that are coming on the roster this year, but no one's going to take that job from Pat Fields in my opinion. Okay. So that was number nine, number eight. We're going to stay in the secondary and go to the strong safety position where you got DTL coming back for a senior season. Jeremiah Cradell gets a mention from Lincoln Riley in his Thursday press conference before spring practice uh, begins. And so you kind of get the feeling that Cradell may have the opportunity to see himself on the field um, one, you know, a little bit more uh, in 2021. Uh, Cradell going to be a redshirt sophomore next season. He's, I mean, he's a little bit bigger than DTL. I mean, and I'm going to say a little bit, I mean, a little bit. He's one inch and then he's two pounds heavier based off the roster that went to the Cotton Bowl. But I mean, that much size difference doesn't make up to me the experience that DTL has at the strong safety position. Yeah, I would be more interested in in seeing Justin Harrington charge for that position right. in, in attempt to actually push a guy like DTL further and further and and essentially making him better and better. Mm-hmm. So I, I do agree with you there though. Um, but I would keep an eye on Justin Harrington just in case. Yeah. And that's a great, that's a great name to throw out there based off of, you know, a lot of people lost track of him because of the injury in 2020 and his inability to contribute on the defensive side of the ball. So there we have strong safety at number eight, higher, lower, are they spot on? I think you're good so far, man. I've wow, no we complaints. have agreement through three. All right, here we go. Num- number they're seven. Pre- they're pretty easy, though. You have an incumbent. Right. You have challengers, and, and you look at the experience. You look at the productivity. And then there's just question marks for the challengers. You're, and you're not really sure what you're going to get. So how how could I unseat? How could I say that position battle isn't all but sewn up? Well, speaking of position battles that are all but sewn up, you got the linebacker positions where Deshaun White, David Aguebu, Brian Osamoa, Nick Bonito, John Michael Terry, all those are names that people are familiar with, and they're all returning back for 2021. The reason that this is a little bit uh, higher in, in terms of interest uh, as opposed to the strong safety, free safety position is because I'm curious, Rich, as to where Caleb Kelly fits in mm-hmm. with this group, with him returning to the field in 2021. But again, not a lot of drama. Um, in fact, you got guys getting getting older and getting more experience. Uh, Deshaun White suddenly is a junior, all, you know, uh, Osamoa, sophomore, Nick Benito going to, excuse me, Osamoa, a junior, Nick Benito going to be a junior. Uh, and the question, you begin to question, is this it for Nick Benito based off of what we've seen through the first two years of him as a as a contributor to this defense? Um, 
So there, I think I said John Michael Terry, he's gone. Uh, but uh, Joseph Waite, uh is going to be a sophomore as well. So not a lot of drama here other than where does Caleb Kelly fit into that mix? I may bump this one up uh, okay. just by, by one, just by one. Not too far, but just by one. I think Shane, is it wider or, or Witter? Whittier. We'll go with that, okay? <laughs> um, I, I think that he's another candidate who could begin to surprise some people. Now, mm-hmm. we know that Deshaun White wasn't the go-to guy. All that attention went to Nick Benito, and rightfully so, because Oklahoma had an incredible pass rush, and a large portion of that was due to Nick Benito and what he was doing on the field and the way that Oklahoma had opted to use him. Deshaun White, not to say that he isn't a quality player, but he kind of got lost in the shuffle because of where all the focus and where all the attention went. It was to the left side of the defense and it was to, to, to a guy, as I mentioned, like, like Nick Benito. Needless to say, don't count any of these players out, Matt. Um, I, I think Shane Wider is going to be a, a kid who can make a push and may surprise some people here in the fall. Okay. Uh, fair enough. So the, the number six spot where you would move linebackers up to right now, I have that as the defensive line and we've talked about this and, and, and to save us some time, I don't want to go back into uh, a lot of detail on this other than to say, you know, it's, it's the, it's the main story. What do they do to replace Ronnie Perkins? Perry and Winfrey, how much better is he going to be uh, going into his senior year, his second year on this on this level of football? And and I've said this before, Rich. I'm so curious. What are they going to do with Isaiah Coe? The defensive tackle that they got in from JUCO as a part of the 2021 recruiting class. How does he fit into this? Um, but uh, clearly the, the, the primary storyline here on the defensive line is what do they do to replace Ronnie Perkins You've, we, we've already mentioned it, guys like Jalen Redman. I think Marcus Stripling has a say in that. Reggie Grimes has a say in that. Um, but really, I love what, what Lincoln Riley said again today about moving guys around. To me, that makes this a little bit more interesting as well. But uh, I've got defensive line at number six. Yeah, I like the defensive line there in the bottom half of this pack if you're going to begin to rank them. And it's largely because there's a lot of familiar names there, much like there is at the linebacker position. It's also a group that was very productive and very active. And that was even before Ronnie Perkins stepped onto the field. I can't complain with what was happening there. I know that they're capable, even if they're going to use a little bit of um, mystery and how they're going to line up in an Mm -hmm. attempt to find some of these mismatches and then exploit them. It it doesn't matter. These are experienced players who have shown that they're capable of doing what's asked of them. So I think it's a pretty safe bet to bump them down to number seven. Okay. So uh, that's good. So you're, you're still going to stick to your guns, linebacker six defensive line at number seven. That's what you're saying. I am. Okay. So that's going to move us into our top five. And at number five, Rich, the positions that I'm watching this spring, uh, the position battles, I got to go with the H-back position here. I don't know. um, You know, Austin Stogner, the injury really robbed him a lot of his sophomore season. Braden Willis kind of in the same same boat. Uh, Jeremiah Hall. I mean, the the most, to me, the most impressive guy who played H-back in 2020 was Mikey Henderson. And he doesn't even crack the top three on when you look at Oklahoma's depth chart going into the Cotton Bowl. 
I'm really curious what comes out of this position. Can Mikey Henderson crack in there? Because it's it's a bunch of young guys. Uh, when you when you when you talk about Henderson and Stogner, Stogner's just going to be a junior. But then Braden Willis and Jeremiah Hall, both are going to be seniors. All four of these guys that I'm mentioning, Rich, have a lot of a lot of danger to them. But most impressive guy I saw was Mikey Henderson. So I'm I'm putting H back into my top half of position battles to watch this season. I don't know who it's going to be. Who, who would be that starter game one of 2021? <laughs> Right. It's a little bit odd to me because I know we keep mentioning Mikey Henderson, even though on the official roster for the spring, he's listed as a, a, a running back, mm-hmm. not as an H back, not as a tight end sole running back. And I think it speaks to his versatility, which again, we know caters towards the type of offense that Lincoln Riley likes to run. I like the name. I was a big fan of his, even though he was very inexperienced, he proved to be very effective when given an opportunity. So again, I like that name, but it's hard to go against the tried and true Austin Stogner. What I'm saying, Matt, is I find myself in the same boat, paddling down the same river with you towards a destination that we don't know what that destination is because I don't know who will step out on the field as that tight end slash H-back position as the go-to option. Okay, so I've got him at uh, H-backs number five. Would you say higher, lower, or spot on? Man, I may bump him up just a little bit. I, I, I don't know what you've got on the rest of these, but that one, that's a good question. That one actually, you you surprised me with that one. Okay, so here we go. Number four, I've got the receiver position. Again, for all the aforementioned reasons, we know that this is Marvin Mims. He's the star coming in to the 2021 season. But as far as who takes that number two spot, will it be Trajan Bridges? Will Jaden Hazelwood, um, you know, bounce back after that injury theo weiss can he continue to improve what about these young guys you know where does drake stoops fit in all this who's number two who's number three what is the pecking order for the receivers this is a legitimate question that oklahoma has to face they have to deal with and they have to answer now the 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 casual Oklahoma fan is going to say, well, they got all kinds of talent at the receiver position. And that's absolutely true. They do. But what is that talent doing on the field? And when it comes time for Spencer Rowley to scramble and find somebody, what is, who's he looking for? How does that establish Mikey Henderson, Mikey Henderson. <laughs> and then defensively, when you're at the defensive coordinator for Iowa state and you're, you're trying to get back to the big 12 championship game by beating Oklahoma and Norman, Which receiver do you give the most attention to right now? You want to say it's Marvin Mims. Well, that should open up for whoever number two and number three is. And that's why it's such an important question. I've got the receivers at number four. I'm going to bump the receivers down to number five, Matt, and H backs up to number three and receiver number three or number four, number three. I don't know who's going number four, but I think, I think this receiver group is indefinitely talented. Just because, just because one player isn't up to snuff in that game doesn't mean someone can't slot into his spot and produce at an exceptionally high level. I'm choosing to believe that. It's why I'm bumping the wide receivers down to number five. And it's it's really just this mentality of it doesn't matter who Oklahoma puts in there. I, I don't care what the pecking order is. I get that that's a question. And it's a good thing to question and begin to keep track of or keep tabs on as we head not just through 
through spring camp into the spring game, but also through the summer and into the fall. But again, it, it always comes back to talent for me. And I don't care who Oklahoma has on the field. They're probably going to be the most talented receiver group in all of the Big 12. And this may be the most talented group on the entire roster outside of quarterback. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't disagree with anything you said. Other than my question hasn't been answered is what's the pecking order, and there has to right. be a pecking order. So, no, I get it. All right, so number <laughs> number three, where you're going to move like the it. NBA dream team, it doesn't matter what the pecking order is. <laughs> well, yeah, it kind of does. Um, okay, so number three, where you're going to move the uh, the H backs to, I think you said I've got the nickelback position, and this is the first of the drama positions for me because you're two starting, you're two nickelbacks for the cotton bowl were trey norwood and brandon radley hiles both of them are gone norwood's off to the nfl bookie's off to the pacific northwest you've got key lawrence transferring in from um from from tennessee um harrington is a possibility here there there's possibilities but there are right now there are no names that you can solidify as being oklahoma's starting nickelback and this is the first of three key position battles that I believe have to be answered before the end of spring football. And so I've got this at number three for that reason. I'm going to have to reorder completely. <laughs> okay. Uh, because I do, I do see this position as one of the biggest position battles. And it is because I mentioned previously that there was an incumbent. As we looked at the bottom of this list of 10, there's mm -hmm. an incumbent not not to say that they're the they're the best option that will come through this roster with that individual but it's to say that they're they were the most experienced they have the most knowledge of the ins and outs of the system and they've proven that they're capable of doing what's asked of them that's not the case at the nickelback position you've mentioned it matt there is no returning starter there and there are tons of questions what will that position even look like how will it be utilized who is going to fill right. that role of course being the biggest question of them all but when you begin to consider the nickelback position and just how vital of a role it played for Oklahoma down the stretch you see that it, it's something that Oklahoma has to address and it does not make me envious whatsoever to be in Alex Grinch's position to name a starter first off to find that starter but then to name a starter and a backup because anything could happen right now absolutely Okay, so here we go. Uh, so, are you gonna you're gonna elevate that? Or are you gonna leave? Yeah, it so three? I'm going Nickelback with number three with okay. you as well. But we're just gonna go ahead and drop the H back from three to four on my list. Okay, well at least you now now you know who number, where number five. four is, right? Okay, uh, number number two uh, on my list is running back, and it's not because there is an absence of talent. It's not because there's an absence of returning starting talent. But it's because what we've already talked about in, in the true or false segment of this podcast is that Kennedy Brooks didn't play football in 2020 and Eric Gray did. And then Seth McGowan seems to have all the talent in the world. Marcus Major was a star in the Cotton Bowl. Again, it comes back to pecking order. What is this going to begin to look like through the spring? We won't know the answer to this question until we get to fall practices and really leading up to, to game week. But it starts now, and and you you better be tuning in here because there's a lot of talent, there's a lot of experience, um, and there's there's not a lot of room to get all these guys on the field. 
in 2021. So someone's going to be left out. Who's that going to be? How are they going to handle it? There's a lot here to unpack with running backs. It's almost like the wide receiver position for me. A lot of talent in the stable, no established pecking order. And I'm going to use the exact same phrase here, Matt. I don't care what the pecking order is. This isn't going to be a talented group who can produce. It's the offensive line that I'm more concerned about. I continue to lump those two in together. And if you don't have offensive line at number one, I'll keep running back there at number two. No, I do have offensive line number one. That that's that's the big that's the big uh, battle for me going into the spring and really going into the fall. And the reason why is you you lost two starters from 2020, but you've got so many more possibilities with experience when you consider all of the all of the transfers. Remember, uh, Christopher Murray was not eligible when Oklahoma started the 2020 season he gained eligibility somewhere around the Texas game if I if memory serves me right but he never just really kind of made that impact this is a guy who was a freshman all-american you're adding Wanya Morris you're adding the kid from Arizona you you got homegrown talent already guys that have been in this program that are just kind of waiting their turn like a Bray Walker type kid and and then you got the three returning starters how how does Bill Biedenboe put this offensive line together? How bad do they battle it out to, to earn a spot on the starting five of this offensive line? And how much, the word you use, how much cohesiveness do they have um, in terms of keeping, uh, truly just keeping their crap together, to, to be honest with you, holding the snap count, not jumping off sides, not, you know, not missing an assignment, all that stuff. There's a lot of pressure on these guys vying for five spots. And this, to me, will be the most fierce competition that we see through the spring and through the summer because there's a lot of talent there and only five spots. And we know Bill and Bebo, he is going to rotate guys, but to earn that starting spot basically means you're going to be an NFL draft pick. And that battle is going to be nasty and fun. I've got it number one, because we all know that as the offensive line goes, so goes the offense. If you don't believe me, go North to Stillwater and ask them what happened to their offensive juggernaut in 2020. The offensive line may very well dictate the outcome of this upcoming season. And I think the offense has much higher expectations than the defense does this year. There's a lot of trust being placed in Bill Biedenboe. We know that he can deliver, but ultimately it's consistency Mm -hmm. in action from the players that leads to success on the field. Will we get that consistency is the major question that plays through my mind on this offensive line. And again, it's, it's a, it's a position that has a lot of talent. It was a position Matt last year, I thought could have placed three names on the all big 12 list. Now that didn't necessarily happen, but when you lose a guy like a Creed Humphrey, that's nothing to simply brush off your shoulders. That's a major loss. And we talk about a player who was able to determine the tenacity, was able to set the tone for the rest of the guys that were playing to his left and right. That was all all that Creed Humphrey did the entire time he played at the University of Oklahoma. 
I think we're seeing a lot of that tenacity creep up. If you went back and you watched any of his pro day workouts, that was on full display for me. Mm -hmm. And now Oklahoma is looking for a leader. They're not just looking for starters on this offensive line. They're looking for a leader, a guy who can anchor this offensive line. And when the going gets tough, they need a tough guy to get them going. Who's that going to be? I've got no answers for you. And it's why I 100% agree that the offensive line deserves to be number one on this list of position battles as we head into the spring. Okay. So read me your 10, uh, how you've reorganized it. And then we'll close out with that. Yeah. So I've got offensive line number one. Um, I'm going to reorganize as we go here as well, which is going to differentiate from what I just previously said. Okay. Don't give me any flack, but if you do, I guess I can take it. Offensive line would be number one for me. Nickelback, I'm bumping up Matt to number two. For me, H-back would be number three. Running back would be number four. Wide receiver would be number five, which rounds out the top half of those rankings. Then we're looking at linebacker being number six. Defensive line being number seven. Strong safety, eight. Free safety, nine. And 10, the QB. Okay, so let us know how you agree or disagree as well. Um, again, you can find us on Twitter at Sports Heartland. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Sooner Nation podcast. Rich, thanks for uh, your patience while I was traveling. Uh, still traveling, but at least we're back in the same country now. And uh, you can find us every day, heartland-sports.com. And uh, we'd love to hear back from you. we got great Thunder coverage going on as well. Have a fantastic weekend, everybody. Boomer Sooner. <laughs>